The old adage from Bill Clinton's campaign, it's the economy, stupid, has never been more appropriate. Well, if you look at what Mr. Trump is saying, he's saying those words. It's the economy, stupid. This week, the race for the White House. And it's the economy, stupid. We look at the policies that could shape the next four years in the United States. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Is the Economy Stupid? I'm Damien, and today we are here, as always, with our favorite presenter, Gianluca. Ciao, Gianluca. Ciao, ragazzi. Hi. Ragazzi. Um, today, our subject is going to be one we already mentioned before, universal basic income. But we are not really experts in that subject, so we decided to invite a very special guest. Our special guest today is Guy Standing. He has a PhD from the University of Cambridge, but is mainly a professional research associate at the SOS University of London. He was a long-term chair of the Basic Income Earth Network and has been an advocate for universal basic income for over 30 years. Guy Standing, welcome to Is the Economy Stupid? Okay, well, very nice to be with you. Ciao. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm working very hard on uh, a book on the commons which is linked to basic income. So it's it's a pleasure to be talking about it. And since the pandemic uh, struck earlier this year, there's been a global surge of interest in basic income all over the world. And every single day uh, I get requests for talks and interviews like we're doing today from all over the world, from really surprising uh, places. And I was even asked by Massive Attack to do a video, a musical video uh, on basic income. And I did this uh, several months ago and already it's been translated and circulated in Italian, French, German and Spanish. And it's had over half a million uh, views so far. And it's an extraordinary experience because when something like that happens to an ordinary person like me, suddenly you get a deluge of emails and contacts from people who want to tell you their views and what it means for them and so on. So it's been a very, very busy period of work for me. That sounds definitely exhausting, but highly interesting. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So for our listeners, can you tell us in a few words, and really as few words as possible, what is universal basic income? The idea is that every individual, every man and every woman equally should receive a modest basic income each month paid by the state, paid to you as a citizen, as a right, an economic right, and it would be paid individually. So a woman would get it, a man would get it individually. And very importantly, it would be paid without conditions, without saying you have to do X or Y or not do something and without means tests. In other words, you wouldn't look at people and say, well, are you poor? And only give it to those people who can identify as poor. You give it to everybody. Now you could claw it back from the rich with higher taxes but it's very much more easy to give everybody a basic income and then tax it back 
rather than try to identify who deserves, who needs something. But of course, you need extra amounts for people with disabilities, with extra costs of living, so that the amount given to everybody is equivalent in what they can actually do with the money. It's very important because some people with disabilities misunderstand that. We would keep disability benefits. We need those benefits. In fact, they should be reformed. They should be made, made as a right without uh, conditions as well. If you have a disability, you deserve to be supported. So a basic income is the idea is to give everybody basic security so that in extremis, you could survive. Okay, it doesn't discourage work. You can earn income. You should earn income because it's not going to make you feel comfortable. But it means that at least you would know that you wouldn't be impoverished and destitute if you didn't have an earned income. So I think that's an important point, which is often misunderstood. Okay, that's insightful. And how do you think uh, a new BI could be financed? Maybe through some carbon tax or uh, something like that. What, what do you think about it? How can let we me let it? me before before I answer that, John Luca. Let, let me say I never use the term universal basic income. Okay, I use the term basic income or social dividends. And the the reason I don't use the term universal is that in practice you would have to say that only the usual residents of a community, the usual residents of Italy should receive the benefit. And if migrants come in, they would have to wait for a period before they would be entitled. Otherwise, you would risk everybody rushing to Italy just to get the basic income. So that, that whereas I think migrants should be helped. I'm, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Migrants should be helped. I believe in, in the rights of humanity, but they should be helped in outside the scheme of a basic income. Okay, so the basic income is for usual residents. And of course, somebody like uh, one of you who is living outside your country, like me, I'm living outside Britain, you wouldn't receive it because you're living somewhere else. Okay, so, so that's why I don't use the term universal. Now, when you talk about the funding of yep. a basic income. I think there are, there are two ways of looking at this. One is that when we have a pandemic or a mass crisis like we've got at the moment, what has really been happening is we've got, I'm an economist, and we've got what I call a demand shock. In other words, suddenly people don't have money, they're coming in, they don't have the capacity to spend on basic goods and services. This is affecting employment, uh, firms, and so on. And in those circumstances, governments start spending money as if it's water or like confetti at a wedding, throwing it. And if you look at the, how the governments have been spending it since March this year, they have been spending much more than would cost a basic income if you'd given every Italian a basic income in that time. Had you done that, had the government done that, then actually it would have stimulated demand for basic goods and services, and it would have given people security and therefore given them more resilience. 
the key term for me is resilience. A basic income gives society resilience. So for thinking in the short term, say now, then I would say the governments are spending giving the, to the banks, giving to the financial markets, giving to corporations. Let them instead give them to the people, to the ordinary Italian man and woman and child, right? And I think it's important to say that, that if you had a basic income scheme, you would give half the amount that you give to an adult, you would give to a child, okay, up to the age of 16. And then they would have the full entitlement. So then you have to say, in the longer term, how do you pay for it? Okay. I have proposed in a book called Plunder of the Commons that we should, in each society, build up a commons fund where we have the proceeds of carbon taxes, which you mentioned, eco taxes, land taxes, wealth taxes, would go into the fund and it would build up. And as it builds up, you could be paying out more as an equal basic income. It's vitally important. I'm in an older generation than, than you are, but it's vitally important that we have carbon taxes, high carbon taxes, because otherwise we are not going to tackle global warming and the crisis of the ecological extinction, right? To have carbon taxes, there is one problem, and that one problem is that they are regressive. I think you're economists, and when I say regressive, I mean that they would worsen inequality by themselves, because for a poorer person would be paying proportionately more of their income than a richer person if you had carbon taxes. Therefore, to make them politically acceptable and popular, you have to say, look, the revenue from carbon taxes and other eco taxes would be recycled in the form of equal basic incomes. And then you would reduce inequality because the, the basic income is a higher percentage of the income of a poor person than it of a rich person. And you would have popular support for carbon taxes. And in fact, in Switzerland, we already have something close to that. You know, we pay a carbon tax and each year we get a small amount paid back uh, in, when we come to do our tax forms. All right. And it's popular, as you as you probably know. So it, it's a question of thinking how to build it up. Now, the ideal system is what they've done in in Norway. They could pay big basic income because they have taken the proceeds of North Sea oil, built up this huge capital fund from which they could pay out dividends to every Norwegian. There ex exists in Alaska something similar. Okay, but what I'm proposing in the book is that there are different levies, you know, different forms of pollution that we should be charging these people who are causing pollution. Every time I go to Venezia, for example, you see those disgusting, well, not this year, probably, but normally disgusting super cruise liners, five stories high, carrying 5,000 people, doing incredible damage, ecological, social, community damage. And they sit in the port running their engines all the time while they're in port. 
polluting the air, killing people through lung cancer and so on later. Okay, we should be charging big time. All right, that should that money that we charge them would quickly stop them doing it. They would soon find better fuel and better uh, approaches, but the fund would gain and that would be used to build it up. And there are other ways as well. So it's a matter of now we need we need to overhaul our tax system because we're not succeeding at the moment. Most people, if they're wealthy and in the elite, they can avoid tax. They can avoid their income tax. They set up their bank accounts in Cayman Islands or somewhere like that. But we need to reform our tax. We need tax. Let's be honest. If you want a good society, we need tax and we need to give people basic security. So for me, it's a matter. It's affordable without a doubt, without a doubt. But how we afford it is a matter of political choice. And I think that should be understood. Yes, it is quite clear. So we have now talked about how the taxes would be working and how we would finance this basic income. But a lot of our, our listeners might wonder, how does a basic income differ from any common welfare systems? Can you please explain to us uh, what this means? Or in other words, can you please explain to our listeners what the poverty gap is? Well, I think the the, 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 the trouble with talking about this subject in Italy is that traditionally the Italian welfare system, if I may say so, has not been very good. It's it's been very bad. And it's it's even worse today. It's patchy and so on. But if there's any consolation there, it's bad in all parts of Europe now. Okay, because it was designed, even in the good countries, even in Scandinavia or Germany or Britain, where the welfare system was built up quite well, okay, in the 1950s and 1960s and 1970s. But the world has changed. The labor market has changed. The system has broken down. It doesn't, it's not suited for a flexible labor market where the precariat is very large. It's not suited for that. It doesn't reach the people who really need it. And they've all gone in the direction, including Italy, they've all gone in the direction of means testing. In other words, you go along and if you apply for benefits, they say, well, do you have a certain level of income? Do you have no income? Do you have blah, 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 blah. They ask you a whole lot of questions and you might qualify. Okay, if you're lucky. And then, of course, you are put into a poverty trap. And what that means is if you get a benefit only if you are poor, that means if you make an effort to become non-poor, you lose all the benefits. Obviously, because you increased your earned income, you lose the benefits. Well, this means, in effect, that if you increase your earned income by a small amount and you lose the benefits, you are paying a marginal tax rate of 80% or more. I recently was discussing with the insurance system in, in uh, Finland, where they admitted to me that their own calculations from the from the insurance agency of the government, that many people face a tax, a marginal tax 
of 86% or more. It's the same in Denmark, it's the same in Germany, it's the same in Britain. Those are, those are official figures, okay? And that means you have no incentive to take a job because the extra costs of commuting and your equipment and all that stuff is likely to be much more than 14%, right? That, that you would get extra or 20% if you like. So for me, the poverty trap means that it doesn't pay for people to take the sort of low wage jobs that exist these days for the precariat. And we have to we have to realize that the system has become dysfunctional. It doesn't reduce poverty and inequality and insecurity. It increases it. And 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 I think it is now time for a transformation, a real transformation. This is a crisis. It's a moment where if we put pressure on governments, they will have to change. And the crisis economically will get worse, not better in the next year or so, because all the aftermath of even if we get the vaccine next week, which we all hope, it's still going to be a situation where millions of people are chronically in debt. And their debt could overwhelm them. One mistake, one illness, one accident. And people are suffering from stress. And the way to overcome this stress is to say, you and you and you need basic security. The basic income will lessen your stress, enable you to get control of your time, your debt, enable you to rebuild your life. It won't make you rich by itself, but it will give you a sense that I can survive. I have resilience. And that is so important right now. Okay. It's uh, an important concept that I'm sure our listener could appreciate. So I would like to ask you another question. Should a worker be inclined to accept a low-wage job if there is uh, no, you know, a minimum wage? I don't believe anybody should be obliged, forced to take a low wage job. I think one of the worst things these days is millions of our fellow citizens in every country I know are forced to take such jobs particularly if you're a woman, particularly if you've got small children, particularly if you've got debt. This is undignified. It's not fair. And it increases stress and inequality and insecurity. A basic income would enable you, if you wish, if you want, and if you can, to take a low-wage job. But it also enables you to say no to somebody if you think they're an exploitative employer or a landlord or a, an oppressive parent or a partner. It gives people a sense of freedom to say no. That's why it's we with our pilots, what we found, and it, this was the, the Republicans, I remember objecting when we did a pilot in North America, that what happened was quite a few women walked out of abusive relationships. And they said, this is terrible, break up a family. Basic income leads to break up of families. No, 
it led to women feeling that they didn't have to put up with it anymore. They could say, no, I'm, I'm, not, do I'm not accepting this. I've got something in my pocket and I'm going to, 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 to do my own thing. I'll give you a short story, if I may. We did a pilot in Namibia and we gave people a basic income for 18 months. And I went down to one of the villages at the end and I called some young women, teenage women across. And I said, what, what has been the best thing for you? Having a basic income, what's the best thing? And to start with, you know, they were shy and timid speaking to a white European and they didn't want to answer. But then one of them got brave and said, well, before we had a basic thing. When the men came down from the fields at the end of the month, we had to say yes. Now we have our basic income, we can say no. Now that's emancipation. It's vital. And it is a human right to be able to say no. And when you ask about jobs, I think it strengthens the bargaining position of somebody. Unless you pay me well, fuck off, excuse me. But so, to, you know, to me, this is an important <laughs> aspect of basic income. Very interesting. You mentioned here in your example um, that you change the lives of those people by helping them to get out of poverty. But that creates a question um, that has often been asked about basic income, for example, by the Julian S. Simon Memorial Award recipient, Deidre McCloskey. Why not just give money to poor people? And I know you, you, you will have your opinion about that. But um, the question is, why is helping everyone better than a common system that would not have the problems that a welfare system has, but be able to actively aim at helping poor people? Well, let me say that I know Deirdre and I, I had a public debate with her at a book festival uh, two years ago, I think. And she made this argument. And I think by the end of the discussion, uh, she didn't have many supporters. She doesn't understand how uh, social security policies work. As I said earlier, you, you cannot target well. All the schemes that do what or say they do what she thinks is right. All of them I know have what we call high exclusion errors. Well, that means that a very large percentage of the people who should be receiving, because they are poor and blah, 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 they don't receive it. Because all the tests, people get frightened, people get stigmatized, people make mistakes and they get excluded and punished and so on. It doesn't work. And then you've got the poverty trap that we've discussed earlier, right? And there's another reason why giving a basic income is a matter of increasing social solidarity. If you know that everybody in the community has a basic income, it increases the sense of solidarity and a sense that this is not a charity state. The poor person over there who's begging today and every Italian city I know and town 
every day people come up begging, right? Not just migrants, but begging. And it's the same in other countries. We have a society now which we, we allow people to be begging. And for me, it's so important that we, we have a, a sense of rights, okay? A sense in which people have dignity. And I remember one of the pilots we did, a rich man came down and he had a big four by four car and he stopped and he got out and he came up to me and he said, why are you giving this basic income to me? I, I don't need it. I don't need it. And I said to him, I said, look, you you have that because it is your right. Just as everybody in this community, it is their right. If you choose to give it away, that's fine. But it's your right. And I don't know, maybe another day you may not be rich. But that's not the issue. That's not the issue. Anyhow, he, he took the basic income. And three months later, I heard from him. And he became the most enthusiastic supporter of an equal basic income. He was going out to talk to politicians, saying this has strengthened our community. This has strengthened the feeling that we are all in the community together. And it's beautiful. And we, in the same community, what we saw was a drop in crime, economic crime. You know, stealing small things and, and you know, doing petty things to try and get some money or goods or something. We saw a big drop in that. And that creates a healthier atmosphere for everybody, for everybody in that community. And I, I, I think, I mean, I spend a lot of time in, in Italy and I really believe that Italians value family, community, sense of history, cultural roots. And if there was a basic income system, I know Italians would relate to it. It increases tolerance tolerance for the outsiders the other it increases a sense of altruism and and this and it increases the sense of empathy you can identify more with the other people and you can say i must imagine what it's like to be in their shoes could it be a way to build uh, you know uh, the a good environment in, uh, in Italy, between the, the the people, the citizens, and the institutions, can it build trust in such a way? That's key. I think I I really believe this. We we did a big pilot in India, and we covered uh, we covered six thousand people who received it in nine areas, and the sense of trust and cooperation was really something that happened in those poor areas. What one of the most beautiful things was it increased collective efforts to improve sanitation. You know, basic things like that. If you improve sanitation, you improve people's health. If you improve people's health, they have more resistance to disease and they can cope with a virus attack. But if you're suffering from stress, poverty, and an insecurity, you're not going to have that strength, that, that capacity or the trust in the system. So I, I, I think you've put your finger on it. Trust is something that comes from the experience.
So you just mentioned the study in southern India. Um, you mentioned before the one in Namibia. And so we'll have to forgive us, but we have to bring up the book uh, Universal Basic Income, A Union Perspective uh, that Anna Coot wrote, where she tried to explain similarly a bit to uh, McCloskey that those studies were, well, very, very respected and very uh, had good results, but were done in areas where which were majorly poorer than the average uh, country. And the results might not be the same if they were done on a larger scheme, according to her. She also mentioned um, ideas such that actually improving other areas, not only welfare, but other terms of the market economy, would might attract better results in universal basic income, notably because uh, capitalism will lead to more consumerism if a basic income is there. What is your opinion about uh, that opinion? If you want to know what Guy Standing had to say about this question, other stuttery questions too, and in general about the economy, stay tuned for our next episode.